Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 71. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Producer Megan's on the sticks. Cody Saftik is on the line. This episode of the uh, Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. I got some, uh, I got some payback to do for you there, bud. Yeah, well, you know what? I got a greasy one on you. Got a greasy me on on one on me the last time with Roman on. I don't know why even I agreed to that. And then I could tell in the tone of your voice last week, you were, as soon as you were like, "Yeah, I will do it." By the end of it, you're like, "Well, why would I even agree to that?" So they were bad, bad chewy bets. But I don't know the things you do for content, right, Paul? The people. Uh, the anyways, people enjoy the it. Is it a seltzer that you're going with? Yeah, it's a, a blueberry iced tea seltzer. Um, I'm not gonna say the brand because they ain't paying me any money. But mm, uh, true, and this is like I haven't worn this shoe since last summer, but I use them to cut my grass. So there's actually like it's it's bad. I'm a I'm a trained professional. Nobody should try this at home. Um, hopefully, I don't get sick. If you don't hear from me next week, you know what happens. I'm in the hospital. All right, over the lips, past the gums. Look at stomach. Here it comes. I was actually almost slightly tempted to join you and give myself a, a self-inflicted shoey just because, man, I had a bad week last Whoa. week. Top ticket play, no good. One. Even uh, Chris Gutierrez, I should have been on the other side of that one. But, yeah, not a very good week. So I, I did feel some type of responsibility. But who self-imposes a shoey? Like, well, why not just drink the beer? And then at that point, it's not a punishment. It's just a nice beer. So hopefully, I know I've been saying it a lot recently, this looks like a better car. There's some nice spots on here. The odds don't seem totally blown out of proportion. So we just got to find those little gems, Paul. And hopefully neither of us are doing a shoey next week, but rather celebrate it. We could end up doing a shoey. I wonder where we'll end up, whether we're going to be passionate en- enough about a certain side to do another shoey. But we like we don't like doing shoeys every single week. I feel like, yeah, last week's one was a little bit forced. I forced you into another one. We don't have to do one next week. I don't think, unless we're like really passionately opposed to each other on something here, but we'll see what happens. Main event. We got Curtis, Razor, Blades taking on Sergey Pavlovich, minus 175 for Curtis Blades, plus 150 for Sergey Pavlovich. I mean, we're not reinventing the wheel here, Code. We've got Wrestler, who, when he has been exposed, it's due to the chin, twice against Nganu. Super, super power punchers, people with the death, uh, the death uh, touch. Absolutely have been able to put him in, the, in his grave. Otherwise, Curtis Blades is a fantastic heavyweight. He'd be a champion if it wasn't for some of these top, top elite guys. Guy has really, really good cardio. The striking is always kind of a work in progress, but it gets better and better, and he's able to compete with some guys. Last fight against Aspinall, that, I mean, that's just MMA being MMA. We didn't really get to see what was going to happen between those two guys. No, no fault on Curtis Blades. I mean, if anything, it means like leg kick. Do you want to leg kick him? Because his legs are so strong. They absolutely just obliterated uh, Aspinall's leg. But it's heavyweight. It's heavyweight bangers. You know me. I like dogs. I'm going to be siding with Pavlovich just because outside of over him. And man, was that a bad look? That's exactly what Curtis Blades could do here. Take him down. Pound him out. 
Outside of that, this guy has been a wrecking ball of all wrecking balls. Um, just finishing everybody in the first round. Tai Tuivasa, super, super durable guy. Just icing him like that. It's just like, this is one scary guy in the heavyweight division. And because he's a plus 150 underdog, I like that. There's some If you could do a little bit of shopping out there, there's like plus 300 out on the market. I'm not going to say the book or whatever. It's like a plus 300 out there on him to win in round one. That seems like a nice little play to me. Um, yeah, Pav for me. Not going to be shocked either way. Tie level heavyweight. Really looking forward to the main event to find out what happens. What's your take here? Yeah, I'm actually going to go with Sergey Pavlovich as well. You're talking about plus money, heavyweight. Yeah, you can trick me into it. Curtis Blades has got the wrestling advantage. He's also got the cardio advantage, I would think. Pavlovich's last seven fights have ended in the first round. So if for whatever reason this thing does not end in the first round... I would think pull the shoot on your Pavlovich bet and jump on the other side with Curtis Blades because one would have to figure, you know, he's got the five-round experience. He's got uh, the Colorado altitudes experience. He's got the ability to push a pretty heavy pace for a big man. I would think the longer this fight goes probably also plays out for Curtis Blades. So uh, I'm I'm not crazy. I know what Pavlovich needs to do in order to get the victory here. And that's what he's been doing, which is let his hands go, touch his opponent up, get to the, get, beat them to the target. And uh, and get the knockout win. He's got heavy, heavy hands. People keep bringing up the Alistair Overing fight. And how could you not? You know, it's his one loss in the UFC. It's his one loss in his career. And he gets absolutely starched. Gets starched on the ground as well. Not a great look considering if Blade gets on top of him and just starts hammering down with those hammer fists that getting that ground and pound going, getting those sneaky elbows going, he probably does the same thing to him. Here's the thing for me. Sergey Pavlovich currently right now is 30 years old. 30 at heavyweight. You know this, Paul. It's young. It's very young. Mm-hmm. Guys that are like, uh, the division's old. I mean, John Jones is an older fighter. Stipe Miocic is an older fighter. Uh, even even the young guys, um, you know, Tai Tuivasa, he's 30, same age, right? He's kind of wait, fallen to the wayside. Cyril Gaon, he's 33 years old. Francis Ngannou, he's in his late 30s now. Uh, it's a heavyweight div- division. They mature a little bit later. So I feel like Pavlovich, when he fought Alistair Overeem, he's 26 years old. He's making his UFC debut. And they give him Alistair over him. Like, this is not a very easy fight for anybody, let alone a UFC debut, let alone the fact that he's 26 years old. He's still just an infant in the sport. Since then, he's looked a lot better. Since then, he's been getting those first-round knockouts. Since then, he's been letting his hands go. Trains at Tiger Muay Thai. Guy has a wrestling base. Apparently, he started wrestling at the age of five. Didn't pursue it, like, internationally. Didn't pursue it in college or anything. Actually joined the Army. But all the same, it's like he does know how to wrestle. He does train with a lot of high-level grapplers now. He's not completely out of his element. So I think he's got some good things going for him. What I see with Curtis Blades, though, is that he used to be the guy that just wants to wrestle. He just gets when he when he exchanges with guys like the Francis Ngannou fight knocked out. The Derek Lewis fight, he didn't wrestle as much as he should have, considering he's fighting Derek Lewis, a guy with absolutely zero takedown defense. There's an easy path to victory here. And yet he kind of chose to strike with him a little more than he should have, and he gets knocked out. It's the fights after that. The Yarazino Roses truck, he mostly just lay and prayed him because he understood, hey, I don't want to play with fire. But the Chris Doukas fight, he didn't try to take him down. He tried to bang with him. He absolutely stood in the center, tried to throw down with him, and then says on his post-fight interview, he's like, everybody thought that I was going to come in here and shoot. Well, I want to show you guys I'm one of the high-level strikers of the division. That's that's fair, man. That's fair. But you're going to play with fire. You're going to get yourself in trouble. And I think with Sergey Pavlovich, if he comes out and tries to stand for a few minutes, it's a few minutes too long. If he comes out with the opportunity to shoot the takedown and get the takedown, probably wins this fight. Here's the one wrinkle that leads me to believe that Pavlovich still does have a chance, though, is when Blades is getting on these guys, like Rosenstruck, 
Rosenstruck's got no ground game, no ability to get up, no submissions, and otherwise is not held it as a or regarded as a as, as a very good grappler. And yet he mostly just laid on top of him. The Derek Lewis fight. Derek Lewis has zero grappling. Blades did take him down. He just didn't do anything with him, and Lewis is able to get back to his feet. If he takes down Pavlovich and just doesn't do anything, this is a five-round fight, man. Pavlovich will eventually get back up. Either he gets himself up, either the referee stands you, either the round ends and he just is not exhausted as everybody think he's, uh, thinks he's supposed to be, comes out for that second, he'll have opportunities to crack him. So I'm going to take Sergey Pavlovich. I think his win condition is the knockout, so I think he would take him by knockout as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, we've got Brad Tavares taking on uh, Bruno Silva. Brad Tavares is a minus-150 favorite. Bruno Silva can be had for plus-130. Your thoughts? Yeah, this is a dog or pass fight, so I'll actually take the underdog in a second straight one. Bruno, uh, it's it's no disrespect to Brad Tavares, just him favorite versus anybody. I'm not particularly interested. He's super one-dimensional in that he's a striker. He's not looking to wrestle. He's not looking to grapple. He is who he is. He's been a sparring partner to some of the best guys in the sport in Las Vegas for over a decade. You know, he's comfortable in that area, but he doesn't do anything uh, to wow you. He doesn't do anything exceptional. He's not known for big power. He's not known for his big stopping abilities. He's mostly just there to spar with you for the 15 minutes. And I think in doing so, he allows his opponents to kind of get away a little bit of sometimes in the, in the striking numbers, right? In the volume and just kind of that tenacity. 35. I don't think he's going to be getting any better he's serviceable he'll give you 15 minutes but that's kind of about it if you look back to say the guy fought israel adesanya so he's not been to the top of the mountain but at least he's fought the best guys in the division it's just he just st- he, he stood and he stared at him the whole time gets outstruck 119 of 40 right his fight with Edmund shabazian shabazian's like 21 years old and turned out to, to fan out not be all that good uh he just recently left uh edmund to verdian so maybe he'll be okay but it was like it wasn't a great version of shabazian he, he knocks him out the omar uh Mariak Madoff fight, the split decision, crazy fight, definitely volume towards Brad Tavares, but still, you know, not 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 pulling away from a guy that's no longer with the promotion and it's not all that good to begin with. And then that last fight with Drake is two places. I love Drake is everybody loves Drake is. So again, he's fighting good guys and not getting the result he wants, but at least he's fighting good competition. It's the fact that he wins the first round and Drake is huffing and puffing with his mouth wide open, can't breathe out of his nose and Brad's up the round and he just allows himself to get out worked in the second and the third. Now, Dreykus has got lots of volume, right? He's got lots of work rate. And, and that's Brad's issue is that he just doesn't keep the pace with those guys that are willing to pull ahead on him. So against Bruno Silva, Bruno Silva is very much a one-dimensional striker as well. His ground game, probably not bad, but probably not great either. He wants to stand. He wants to bang. The guy went 15 full minutes with Alex Pereira, got doubled up on the striking numbers, but landed some heavy shots, mm-hmm. man. Gave a pretty good account of himself. And then his last fight against Jeremy Rashard, I thought he looked awful. Awful, like awful, awful. So if that version comes out here again, Brad Tavares is probably, you know, stands with him at distance. You've got 15 minutes and Brad probably just edges him out. But if Bruno comes in here and does what he's capable of, I think he's either going to catch Brad with a heavy shot, hurt him, stun him, land the bigger blows, get the judge's decision, or maybe just go out there and, and you know, pull ahead, work at work him a little bit. So uh, this is something that will probably be way low this week. But uh, listen, underdogs are going to come through. I get it. Brad Tavares is not someone I'm looking to back. Unless he was the underdog, I'd have a better look at it. But uh, favorite status, Brad Tavares, me, just don't go together. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. Um, I can totally see Brad Tavares winning this fight by decision, 15 minutes, more volume. Bruno Silva doesn't really get much over like 60 significant strikes. But the strikes that do land from Bruno Silva would be 
very, very damaging. You really don't know when it goes to the scorecards. You really don't know how the judges are going to judge, you know, strike versus strike. They're not looking at the stats. They're saying who landed the better strikes over the course of those five minutes. So I can see him winning the decision. Brad has been historically very, very difficult to finish, but maybe that durability is just ever so slightly starting to, to go away from him. So I think the path for Bruno Silva to get a knockout is there as well. Um, plus 130, not a fight that I'm actually going to bet, but for the purposes of this show, uh, Bruno Silva will be my pick as well. We got Bobby King Green taking on Jared Gordon. Minus 255 for Green. Plus 215 for Jared Gordon. I love Bobby Green. I always just get really nervous when he's minus 250. That's really what it comes down to for me. I think skill for skill, this isn't even remotely competitive. But I've said this in other situations, I think, when... I can't recall off the top of my head which fight I'm thinking of, but like he was like minus 300, and then he just went out there, and he was a goof. He was an absolute goof for most of the fight, and you're just like, this is why you don't... like You bet Bobby Green at like plus 130 as an underdog in a fight against somebody that should be remotely competitive. You can understand that there's a little bit of edge for the other side because he's very skilled in every aspect of the game. But, like, uh, yeah, on the feet, I think it shouldn't even be remotely competitive. His boxing, his his little shoulder shift or whatever is 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 elite. Like, he's very – he's he's solid. His res- wrestling is on point. Like, I, I imagine he's got, like, a decent-sized reach advantage over Jared Gordon, who's pretty undersized for, uh, for lightweight. Like, all point – everything points to Bobby Green. And I will be picking Bobby Green. But at minus 255 – you know, if Jared Gordon lands a shot and Bobby Green starts going like, uh, shaking his head, no, 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 that didn't hurt me. Oh, that didn't hurt me. It's just like the judges see that and they're like, oh, that, that shot right there, that hurt him. Um, I hate when he does that and I really don't like playing the minus 255s, but I, I get it. I get why he is the favorite in this spot. And, you know, shouts to Jared Gordon for being, you know, getting – and I ended up taking Patty Pimblett after round two because I'm like – the fix could be in here, and it turns out the fix was in there because um, Jared Gordon won that fight against Patty Pimblett. Um, let's call a spade a spade. But, yeah, Green will be the pick for me, but at minus 255 in his history of doing kind of dumb things in there, it won't be a bet for me. What about you? Yeah, I remember the fight you are talking about. It was him versus Chago Moises. He's a minus mm. 300 favorite. And he outstruck Moises 85 to 49. But yeah, just when you're being stupid and you're shaking your head and you're basically telling the judges, yo, this guy hit me. And yet when Bobby lets his hands go, he's not a huge power puncher. He's more of a volume guy, right? So maybe they're just not acknowledging what he's doing in there. So yeah, I think if you're not going to go for the kill every time out, you're going to leave it. I don't want to be the guy that says leave it in the hands of the judges because at an elite level, it's going to happen, right? Sometimes you just can't put away this man in 15 minutes or in 25 minutes. You should be able to comfortably leave it in the hands of the judges and have them not screw you. But Bobby's style is a very subjective style. I hear what you're saying, right? Whenever he's a another one of these guys, if he's a minus 250, minus 260 favorite, you're going to have some some type of reservation. But I think he should be a bigger favorite as far as I'm concerned. I think he wins this fight fairly handily. Bobby Green is an elite-level fighter. He's just a goofy guy, right? He's kind of our generations or this generation. I guess I shouldn't say our generation, but he's this generation's Charles Crazy Horace Bennett. 
He's supremely talented. He just doesn't really put the best of his abilities together all the time. He's got a journeyman record. He'll fight anybody, anywhere, anytime. Um, again, it says he's never going to fight for a title because he just doesn't take it as seriously as he possibly could. But Bobby Green's actually really good everywhere. He's got good grappling. He's got good wrestling. He's got good cardio. Uh, his People will say, oh, he just got knocked out. And his other knockout losses to Dustin Poirier. Like, yo, believe me, his chin's rock solid as well. Uh, as you mentioned, he's got like that shoulder roll, like the Philly shell defense. He's got a razor fast jab. His boxing is overall pretty good because he keeps his hands so low and showboats in front of you. People think he's showboating. Sure. And there's no, you know, there's no benefit to it, but his hands are so low when they shoot in on him. He, it's easy for him to get double underhooks because he doesn't have to drop a high guard. There's no dropping under his strike. His hands are already in place. He's got excellent footwork. He just doesn't take it as seriously as he possibly could. On one hand, you got Jared Gordon, whose story is that he was over, he was able to overcome hard drugs in the street life, versus Bobby Green, who's still on hard drugs and the street life. But Bobby, I think Bobby gets results. And even that last fight with Drew Dober, he had landed 73 significant strikes through half of the fight, right? It was like seven and a half minutes into the fight. 73 significant strikes. Then he got caught. It's Drew Dober. It's going to happen. That's some sickening work rate, some very good striking, and you're fighting Drew Dober, one of the best in the division, and outclassing him like that through uh, a round and a half. It's impressive. His fight with Rafael Fiziev, he outstruck him 143 to like 103, right? Outstrikes Fiziev, a world class. He's your coach, your striking coach's striking coach. And again, whatever, he lost the fight, but my God, he gave one hell of a great account of himself. So, if Jared Gordon thinks he's going to stand with Bobby Green, Bobby Green is just going to give him a free clinic on... It's going to be a free striking seminar, right? If Jared Gordon decides to do what he did against Patty, uh, Patty the baddie, push him up against the cage, make it a grinding affair, try to use his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, I think he might still be a brown belt under Danaher, but I don't know. Maybe he's since got a black belt from somebody else. I just don't think it's going to work, right? I don't think it's going to be able to... No one's been able to just hold on to Bobby Green. Islam Makachev was able to, uh, you know, dispatch of him with an easy takedown. But outside of that, like, he's fought in some pretty good grapplers in his time. Even the Thiago Moises fight, like, he got out of everything and took Moises down twice as well. He's a very hard guy to submit. I don't think anybody's ever submitted him. At least not in the UFC. So what's Jared Gordon's game plan? Is he going to outwork? Normally he outworks guys. Is he going to outwork Bobby Green? I don't see that happening. Is he going to take down and hold down Bobby Green for 15 minutes? Again, and don't see it happening. And then, whereas Bobby ne- normally needs to outwork you because he doesn't got no knockout power, Jared Gordon's chin is no good. Bobby could 100% knock him out. In fact, what's the Bobby Green by KO prop? Uh, I don't have it if in it's front of me. Good, if it's, yeah, if it was good plus money, 100% has my interest. Jared Gordon tends to just fight in front of you and get hit a lot. And when you throw as much heat as Bobby Green does, hitting a guy a lot means hitting a guy 140 significant times. He just doesn't have a chin for that. You look at a lot of these spots, he gets wobbled, he gets knocked down. He's fighting light power punchers, Patty, Patty the Batty, Leo Santos, Grant Dawson, Joe Selecki, Danny Chavez, Chris Fishgold. None of these guys can crack. The hardest power puncher of that bunch, I don't know, Patty the Batty probably. Like, that's not, none of those guys are strikers. None of those guys got heavy hands. The guys that did have heavy hands, Charles Oliveira, who knocked him out? Joaquim Silva, who knocked him out? Carlos Diego Ferreira, who knocked him out? Those guys knock him out. So Bobby, yeah, Bobby doesn't fall under the category of a power puncher in the slightest bit, but he throws so much. And if you're going to try to fight him for 15 at a, you know, a heavy pace, you're going to take a lot of damage. I can see Bobby actually getting that job done. Knocked out Ally Quinta, 
for no other reason than Al was old and over the hill and his chin wasn't there anymore, I'm going to say Jared Gordon falls into the exact category. And then book me some Bobby Green versus Patty Pimblett the next time. That's the fight coming up. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the UFC books that. Come on. I don't. They, they no, don't. They're trying to protect Patty. Patty's got to get the takedown, and like that's that is he will get. Down. He's very hard to take down, and that is a horrible stylistic matchup on the feet. So they're not booking that. They are not booking no. Bobby Green against Patty unless it's the last. You know how the UFC rolls. Unless it's the last fight on his contract, and they're just like, who's a guy that's criminally underrated? That'll probably give Patty an L so that we don't have to pay him the big bucks on this deal. That's how these things roll. Whenever Patty's deal is done, is done, or it's the last yeah. fight of his contract, he'll get like the Bobby Green fight. That's that's how this that's how this business works in general. Yeah. I would say that the UFC brass would be like, okay, okay, who's the guy that the judges refuse to screw? on the scorecards it's like patty okay okay who's a guy that the judges love to screw that's on fair. the scorecards bobby green oh well that's the play to make and then that gets patty a top 15 ranking <laughs> you know how this business is paul and then yeah then then what the play there buddy is is wait for like patty to be down two rounds like very <laughs> yeah, two yeah, clear yeah. rounds and then take like patty by decision plus 900 yeah. after round two <sighs> Print all, print all of the money and then bobby gets robbed again and you're like this guy should his record should like his record doesn't do justice to how good of a fighter he is and it makes sense that he's minus 255 i just because of his antics inside of the cage i don't love laying it because he opens the door for the judges to screw him and he's done it over and over and over again um but yeah he's both of our picks. He's a great fighter. All right, we got Yasmin Lucindo taking on Brogan Walker, plus 280 for the underdog Brogan Walker, minus 340 for Yasmin Lucindo. You were, like, really, really hot up on this one before we started recording, so I'm going to let you talk about this one, Code. No, no, it was basically a joke, but I'll let you into the joke. So, again, it's like there's the theory of Pat Man, which is bet these big plus money underdogs, and then there's, like, logic. And so when I saw this one, it was like, this has got Pat Money win- or Pat Mayo wins plus money on, on this written all over it. But then I tape studied it, and it's like logic just jumps in the way. So on one hand, you've got how is Yasmin Lucindo going to blow this one? Well, first of all, she's a minus 350 favorite, which is way too high to begin with. Second of all, women's MMA, this is way too high in general. Third of all, she's 0-1 in the UFC, debuts, loses, gets outstruck. She's a striker, gets outstruck. So it's not as if she's like some hot prospect coming into the division looking to make some noise. She's 0-1, lost her debut. Yeah, but she lost uh, one of the best prospects. Yeah, she lost her yeah, yeah, she The lost other Yasmin, Yasmin And gave Yuri, a good account of herself. Where Eggie is like, that's, she's an awesome, awesome prospect in this division. So like, oh, but, but this is before the logic. We're just talking okay. the theory. There's Fair. the theory and the logic, right? I'll so stop the, interrupting. The, the, theory, the theory being, why would you, why would this girl be this big of a favorite? And not only that, she's 20 years old. So what could possibly go wrong betting on a 20-year-old fighter? Come on. 
this is gonna be a striking battle, right? If you look at her fight with Yasmin, she likes to strike. She is an absolute banger. Very wild, uh, very open, loves to just throw the hooks, but she's got a cast iron chin. She's very aggressive. And even though she's loopy, like she's got some good power, she's willing to engage. She's gonna be like a very young, very green version of a Jessica Andrade, let's say, someone who's willing to just close that distance, get in the pocket and absolutely slug it out and throw down. Brogan Walker, meanwhile, she's also a striker. This is just gonna be a striking battle. One girl's sloppy and these openings why can't rogan walker just make us a 15 minute striking affair she sure she lost her debut as well to juliana miller juliana miller is a grappler she got a grappled by juliana miller she does her best work in the stand department so if you've got two girls standing in women's mma for 15 full minutes one of them's a 350 minus 350 paul how often does this go bad for little cody all the time but yeah, again, when you watch the tape, Broga and Walker 33, she's kind of slow and she's very flat footed as well. Fights with her hands low and then looks to stick that jab and just kind of go to her opponents in a little bit. Maybe it's because she's worried about the grappling, but I would say she's a couple notches slower than Lucindo. And then that game plan of fighting with your hands low and trying to just use your reflexes to get your guard up or get out of the way, it's not going to work. It's not going to work because the other girl's 20 and very, very fast and very, very strong. So you can't just rely on your reflexes to jump out of the way. You need to hold up a high guard. And it's just not the way she fights. It's not the way she's comfortable. So like Lucinda is just going to chop her away. Maybe stops her. Maybe it's a 15-minute striking fair, sure. But the way she's throwing, it's very ill intent. She's not looking to go 15 minutes. She's looking to get the knockout. And Brogan Walker feels that power a little bit. I could see a world where she probably, you know, forces a second-round stoppage or something like that. That's logic. That's going to – I use logic to make my picks. Lucinda is the pick, but – yeah, come Saturday night, you know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen, and there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing, nothing I can do about it. That's the frustrating part. So it is what it is, but I will take Lucindo. I ran this one through the CF dot model, and it told me it said pass. It didn't say, it yeah. didn't say the uh, the dog. Don't take the dog. So, yeah, Lucindo is the same one for me. It's like I was impressed. Warigi is one of the best prospects in the division right now. They had an absolute war. It was a fantastic fight between two two young prospects. It's like one of those fights. It's like I can see them fighting five years from now for like something significant, whether it's a title fight. Like, I don't know, like an actual like one of them has the belt, but like whether it's like a contender, like a top contenders match, something like that. It's like both of them are going to be around for a long time. I'm impressed by them. And Lucindo proved in defeat that like that she definitely belongs. And at 20 years old, the the sky's the limit. So I, I'm I won't be betting this fight to be perfectly honest, but yeah, I'll be picking Lucindo as well. I think she's got a lot of potential moving forward. We got uh, Matthew Matthew Semmelsberger taking on Jeremiah Wells minus one ten straight pick them homie. Who you got? I'm going to go with Semi the Jedi, Matthew Semmelsberger, to get the job done. But uh, this is a fight that's probably going to either end in the first round and be a win for Jeremiah Wells, or I can get it into the second round and Semmelsberger will start to take over. So definitely a good live betting opportunity. You'll probably get a better price than Semmelsberger if he actually gets thrashed in the first round, which is entirely possible. You just go back a couple fights to the AJ Fletcher fight. I know I bring it up all the time. But uh, Fletcher shouldn't have had been, been able to have that that much success with him especially on the ground took him down ragged all the round and he did all that just by being very physical now Samuelsberger's big boy for the division like he, he's big thick six foot one 75 inch reach at 155 pounds and this guy's kind of like you know, pretty or sorry at 170 pounds this guy's a pretty big thick uh, dude but yet Fletcher just tosses him around and he made a whole lot of mistakes on the ground as well Fletcher gasses that's what allowed Samuelsberger to come back and get the win the Alex Moreau 
Bono fight got it worked pretty clean and then his last time against Jake Matthews best version of him I think that we've seen yeah he's starting to uh, figure it out his grappling's pretty good his striking is really good what I like about him is his ability to go that 15 full minutes he's gonna get bum rushed here by Jeremiah Wells so so I just need him to hold up for that first round if he can hold up for that first round Wells can't keep up this pace man listen this dude is dangerous in that first round there's just no way he's gonna be able to keep it going in his debut against Worley Alves He's lucky he knocked out Wal- Alves 40 seconds into the second because he exerted a whole lot of energy in that first round. He's a Henzo Gracie BJJ black belt out of uh, uh, Henzo Gracie Philadelphia. He's got a nasty, nasty left hook on him, but he's going to just come out here and go guns a-blazing for that early finish. It worked against Worley Alves. It worked very well against Blood Diamond. I'm no surprise there. But then his last time out against Court McGee, Court's old. He's over the hill. He's journeyman status. He's this and that. He had a hell of a beard on him. And not only that, he's got a pretty good chin too. And he just got absolutely smoked out of there by Jeremiah Wells. So when you keep getting repetitive success doing the same thing, there's really no point in changing it. I don't see him changing it. I think he's just going to come out here, bum rush Semmelsberger, and try to hit him up. Semmelsberger is hittable, so that left hook's definitely going to be in play. Semmelsberger's takedown defense isn't cast iron, so the takedown is definitely going to be in play. And he's going to have some ground and pound opportunities and maybe some submission opportunities as well. But I'm going to have enough faith that says that Semmelsberger doesn't get finished in the first. Second round, the takedowns don't come as easy. That big left hook doesn't come as quick. He's going to start to pay some dividends. By the third round, Semmelsberger either takes him out or wins the third round, wins the decision. Um, I just need this. I'm playing the long game on this one. So for live betting purpose, well, for the pick is Semmelsberger, right? The live betting opportunity is where I'm more interested. I think there's a lot more value in seeing how this one plays out and maybe getting a better price on him after the first and then for Jeremiah Wells, yeah, dude, the, the, my butt will be puckered the whole time because I know how he fights and I know how talented he is. I just don't see it having like long-lasting success in the UFC. Keep in mind, he's 36 years old. So this guy tried this on the regional scene. It just didn't really go all that well. He didn't fight all that often. He's got a suspect gas tank. Lost a, just a decision to Manny Wallow. Yeah, that Manny Wallow. Lost a decision to Vinicius de Jesus, who I actually a fan of, but not all that great. I think he had... 10 fights when he made his UFC debut. 10 fights under his belt, and he was 34 years old. But that just doesn't happen all that often. He wasn't very active. He doesn't have those long rounds. He doesn't have that deep, deep experience. I bet you he's an absolute beast in the training room, but 15 minutes in the octagon is a lot different. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Semmelsberger. When you said that Manny Wallow, oh, yeah, that Manny Wallow, I don't think anybody. That Manny Wallow. I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody knew what you're talking about. So remember Phoenix Jones, the superhero, he was like, he was going around, he ended up being Ben, uh, ben Fodor, who's the younger brother of Koros Fodor, strike force veteran, UFC veteran, actually lost a Sam Stout in the UFC, then he went 0-2 and got cut. Mm-hmm. Marine, alcoholic, how do you not know these guys, Paul? Anyways, his younger brother, Ben Fodor, was Phoenix Jones superhero would go around beat up a couple people in the streets uh it was a famous character in the mma community for a little bit and then uh he lost to manny wallow that was like manny wallow's claim to fame so not a terrible fighter just not a good fighter and i think with jeremiah wells he was not expected to do anything right he's, he's 34 he's never had his crack at the ufc he makes his debut against warley alves and he's a fairly significant underdog right plus 200 underdog so he just bum rushes him, and he knocks him out. Well, hot damn. Then they give him Blood Diamond. Well, Blood Diamond's no good, so this is just a free win. So you weren't supposed to get to the UFC. Then you come in as a huge 2-1 to underdog, but you capitalize. Maybe Blood Diamond. Then you beat an old Court McGee. Now you're the you know the flavor of the week. That's what happened. 
Williams, right? Everyone's high on him. I just, I think he's 36. Well, I know he's 36, but I think he's got suspect cardio. I think he's a first round guy. That's why he's trying to get these fights done as quick as possible. I don't think he believes that he's going to be able to continually fight deep in the second, deep in the third. Um, Paul Felder raised about how talented he is. Sure, in the training room, right? I, I think he'll tire out the longer this one goes. So, hot me up for Semmelsberger. And that's your Manny Wallow story as well. <laughs> I, I mean, my only concern with Semmels, I mean, it is a pick for a reason, but. I mean, Semmelsberger against Fletcher. And what is A.J. Fletcher but maybe a slightly less explosive uh, Jeremiah Wells? Like, he... Yeah, he's only like a purple belt. It was a very close... Exactly. So, it's like better BJJ for Jeremiah Wells. Um, Probably more explosive power from, from a striking standpoint. He's a little bit more dangerous. He's a step up. And you... You know that you you had Samuelsberger, I had Fletcher as a big dog. It's like your butt was puckered. Admit it. Oh, I'm glad I didn't have a big shoey bet on that one. A you, three to one or a two to one. Oh. You know it. You know we were, that was before we were doing multiple. Um, I know. I'm gonna pick Wells. I'm gonna pick Wells because I. It's still, but I don't know if I'm gonna bet it because I think at this price it's a little bit more accurate. Um, but I'm gonna pick him for the purposes of this show. Um, but yeah, a lot of the points that you say, it's just like I think the longer this fight goes, it's going to be bad for, or it's going to be bad for Jeremiah Wells. I am not convinced that he's able to go a full uh, fifteen minutes at a high pace. Um, but yeah, neither neither was uh, ne- neither was AJ Fletcher. So and they still went the full fifteen. So kind of a red flag as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we got Ricky Glenn taking on Christos Giagos. Ricky Glenn, a minus 160 favor. Giagos can be had for plus 140. Cody. Yeah, well, here's another great live betting opportunity. Christos Giagos is a thoroughbred racehorse. This dude is going to put it on you for about five minutes, and then he just starts to slow. I'm massively impressed with Christos Giagos. I always have been. He's got a lot of muscle on him. He's shredded up. You know, good-looking kid. And then he goes out there and he fights for your dollar, right? He gives absolutely every ounce of energy that he has. Thing is, is that he tends to use that energy, like, early, early in the first round. If he can win the first two, then he's on skates for the third. Almost guaranteed. Uh, his fight with Demir Hadzovic, holding on for dear life in the third round. His fight with Mizuto Harada, he was holding on late. His fight with Carlton Minus, he couldn't finish Carlton Minus. And again, late in the fight, gassed out. Um... When he loses, they're the best guys going, for sure. But he's not competitive against those guys. Armin Saruki knocked him out in the first round. Thiago Moises submitted him in the first round. He's not going to be able to get over that hump of, like, top 15, top 10 guys. But, yeah, he's he's just like a powerhouse, man. He's going to he's got excellent grappling. I think he is a BJJ black belt. But, of course, there's levels to black belt. He is a offensive black belt. He's going to take you down. He's going to try to slink to your back. He's going to try to rear naked choke you. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, he'll use every ounce of strength in his arms squeezing, every ounce of, of energy in his legs squeezing, his uh, shots, everything he shoots is fast. He's very explosive. He doesn't set up an underhook up against the cage and try to slowly, methodically peel you to the ground. He'll just bulldoze you to the ground. I love that style. How could you not love that style? Fans at home, and they want to be entertained. Christos Giagos is either going to win in entertaining fashion or lose in pretty entertaining fashion. The thing with Rick Glenn is like he's a... Uh, have you ever got to punch a, like a wet piece of rope? Yeah, it just doesn't work, right? Like the guy is just, you know, he rolls with it. He, he's kind of, I wouldn't call him a punching bag, but like he does a very good job of just, you know, absorbing whatever's thrown at him and then it, be able to deliver it back. Now, his takedown defense, not that good. His physicality, not that 
that good. Christos Giagos will be able to take him down. Christos Giagos will be able to outmuscle him. But he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt himself. Very slick grappling, good submissions, good submission defense. He's also got really good cardio, really good pace, and a significant striking advantage. So if Giagos takes him down early, great. Glenn will get back up and at the very least defend himself on the ground, not take too much damage. When he's back up, he'll win those exchanges. He'll start to bring up that volume. He'll start to take him in some deeper waters, and then he puts him away. His fight with Gavin Tucker should have been stopped three times over, but it was like the closest thing I've ever, ever seen to someone getting killed in the octagon. Ricky Glenn just did not go away. He's got volume for days. He's got some heavy strikes. It's that last fight with Grant Dawson. Dawson, similar to a Giagos, is like a powerhouse wrestler, you know? He's going to get those takedowns, and he's got good grappling. Thing is, he's got way better cardio, way better ring, ring IQ, Way better technique. He doesn't have to muscle everything. First round, ah, Ricky Glenn's getting taken down and grappled. Second round, Ricky Glenn's getting taken down and grappled, but he's starting to put some work in. The third, third round, Dawson, of all people, who's never shown in the UFC to have gassed out, is running on fumes. And Glenn puts a 10-8 beating on him. And they should have stopped that third round. No one stops Rick Glenn fights. I don't know what they want him to do. Kill a man? But uh, he 10-8 round uh, Dawson. Afterwards, he's flat out tells Dawson's like, oh, good fight, good fight, man. And it, he flat out tells him, he's like, yeah, I whooped your ass. Straight to his face. And then they announce it as a draw. And he's like, oh, I don't care because everybody knows who really won the fight. I think the same thing plays out here. I think he faces some early adversity. He gets taken down. You probably get a better live money price on him going into the second. And uh, all of a sudden, Giagos isn't going to get those takedowns as easy. He's going to have to work a whole lot harder. He's going to start huffing and puffing. His hands are going to be by his side, and he's going to get stopped. So Rick Glenn, and then if you want to chase those exotic props, like a third-round TKO is 100% live in play here. So uh, give me a Rick Glenn. I, I know he's going to have to overcome some sticky situations early, but I think he will. Giagos wins two, survives the third. Although that's possible, it'll still be a draw, just like the Dawson fight. Like he'll, he'll, He's going to put a beating on. It's a small cage, too. There's nowhere to run off to in that third round when you're trying to evade. Yeah, I mean, I'm in complete agreement with you. I have really nothing else to add to that one, to be perfectly honest. We move on down. We've got Montel Jackson taking on Ronnie Yaya. Montel Jackson, a minus one or minus five fifty favorite. Ronnie Yaya can be had for plus four twenty on Prize Picks. They've got like uh, shouts to my boy BMR again. He was on. He was on the scene, and I didn't really actually take it, but it was. They opened it at two takedowns for Montel Jackson um, in this fight. Um, it went down to one and a half. But I still think, unless he's like, on what planet would he take this fight to the mat? Now, this happens in MMA all the time. Sometimes they try to take guys down at the end of the round to try to, like, secure it, anything close. But it's like, you have an obscene reach advantage here, an obscene strength advantage here. Um, It shouldn't be remotely close on the feet. Montel Jackson, the only way he gets himself in trouble is... In this fight against Ronnie Yaya, who is very long in the tooth and will flop to his back and do all crazy types of things to try to get you to come into his zone because he doesn't actually have very good wrestling. Um, the only way that, yeah, you really lose this fight is by going into Ronnie's world. Um, so I imagine leading up to this fight, his camp has been saying like, you know, Robin Black used to always say to us, it's like the hot lava, hot lava. It's just like, do not go to the ground with uh with with Ronnie Yaya. That's that's where you lose this fight. Not that like Montel Jackson has really good grappling. He's he's shown some real signs of having like a good submission game, but it's like there's levels to this game and if you keep this at range, you've got an obscene, obscene reach, speed, 
everything advantage uh, at range. So keep it there. Minus 550 is absurd. I'm not going to touch that. But, um, yeah, he's my pick for sure. And, the, yeah, prize picks, it's like if he fights a, a smart fight, he doesn't go for any takedowns here. So I would say under uh, one and a half takedowns on prize picks. Promo code DOP to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Montel Jackson's hot fire, man. Everybody expects him to win. I expect him to win. You expect him to win. The odds makers expect him to win. Minus 600. It's just, yeah, dude, Ronnie Yaya has his knack about him. He's not good. He's not good. He's never been good. And yet the guy wins fights. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you know how bad Ronnie Yaya is. And yet he wins fights. He's like that Claudio Silva. Remember, the dude beat Leon Edwards. Yep. He is shit. He is one of the worst guys you've ever seen fight in your life. But he's got this way about him that they can win. They can flop over, end up on top, and win the round. The Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is good. It's very good. And a lot of these guys are just a little step behind. So on one hand, Ronnie Ayaz got very few fat paths to victory. On the other hand, he'll find that few and far between. Montel Jackson's got good takedown defense. But Montel Jackson also, by the numbers, gives up takedowns to pretty much every opponent. Julio Arche took him down. JP Baez took him down. Brett Johns took him down eight times. Felipe Calares took him down. Andre Sukumantas took him down. That doesn't bode well against Ronnie Ayaz because even though his... Even though his wrestling is so bad, he'll just like jump on a single leg and then fall to his side on the single leg, create the scramble, and all of a sudden he's clinging onto a leg lock. Then he'll use the leg lock to sweep on top, and now all of a sudden he's on top. Like he's got very good jujitsu. The other thing is his striking, non existent. But he knows he's so good on his back that you what you're seeing in recent years is that he just throws with reckless abandon standing. He'll come at you with just like the sloppiest hook, big old leg kicks. Because what are you going to do? Use that sloppiness to your advantage to take him down? He wants you to take him down. You're going to counter with him that big shot? It's hard to counter because he's just coming in like a windmill, flailing away. Um, it's very difficult opponent to get ready for. But that being said, listen, Ronnie Yaya could win 10 fights in the UFC. I know who Ronnie Yaya is. Very one-dimensional, not very good guy. He's 38 years old. He's got bad cardio, bad wrestling, bad striking. Durable. Ability is pretty good. I give him that. Uh, and his, his jiu-jitsu is fantastic. But it's not like, you know, you mentioned hot lava. Like the fight hits the ground and then instantly he submits you. He's not that kind of jiu-jitsu. It's the fight hits the ground and then the round's his. Like if he's on top of you even for a minute, that round's his. Um, he has a good way of just making the best use of his spots in there. So dangerous opponent. But he's giving up an eight-inch reach advantage. He's given up like eight years, you know, in the age uh, department. He's giving up a whole bunch of athleticism power i don't know how he wins this fight him shooting a clean takedown on montel jackson even though i just read the list of opponents that have taken jackson down i don't think it works i think jackson's going to be able to brick wall him keep the fight standing utilize that big reach advantage utilize a power advantage maybe even knock him out jackson's last two fights have gone to decision but this kid's got some pretty good power and i think that ronnie yaya if he doesn't get the fight to the ground he's going to be there to be getting hit now will he pull up flop to his back every time so that he doesn't get knocked out yeah i've seen him do it a bunch of times Right, He will flop to his back. The referee says, stand up, stand up. He'll stand up. You'll go to hit him with a clean shot. He'll just drop his back again. It's like a get-out-of-jail-free card, and he will use it. So I don't know for sure that this fight finishes inside the distance or goes to decision. I could see it happen both ways. But both ways, I think Montel Jackson wins the fight. And it's also 2023, right? Like Ronnie Yaya's claim to fame is he won the 80 CCs. He won the 80 CCs in 2003. 
was 20 years ago, man. Like, this is a long time. This guy's an absolute OG of the game. But at the same time, like, it's like everything develops. And I think now judging is developed to the point that they're looking for damage. They want damage, damage, damage. They don't want you hanging out on top and landing 20 significant strikes over 15. They want the guy that went for it. And I think that even if he gets this to the ground, without that quick submission, it's, it's going to be, oh, okay, well, he got his ass kicked standing, but it's up. I think the judges will get it right. Cool. Um, all right, we got uh, Big Norm Dumont taking on Carol Rosa. Big Norm, minus 120 favorite. Carol Rosa could be had for plus 100. I actually... This this opened with like Big Norm being like plus one eighty five. I mean that line was around for like a minute or two. I ended up scooping up some plus one twenty five because I was just like Carol Rosa moving up to one hundred and forty five pounds. Nor Big Norm's got some junk in the trunk. We know she can't even make one hundred and thirty five pounds. Like never. Like it's just not. It just she she failed what three four times trying to make oh, that yeah. weight class. She's not hard, not easy to take down, has very, very credible striking. I can understand a world where Carol Rosa wins on volume here, but um, it, it is refreshing that, you know, I got in at plus 125. It's plus one or minus 120 now. Um, I think it's a lot for Carol Rosa. To, I mean, Carol Rosa got knocked down in her last fight. Um against Lena Landsberg, which is like, it was not a great performance. She ended up winning. She ended up winning pretty cleanly, but it's like she put herself in, in some harm's way there. Uh, Big Norm will be ready. Uh, she will be my pick. I'm already on her, um, but at a significantly better price. As this becomes more like minus 120, minus 130, I mean, I don't know if there's too much meat on the bone. I do think it's a pretty competitive fight, but I think like the mathematical split would be like 60-40 Dumont. To Rosa, so Dumont's the pick for me. What about you? Yeah, I, I hear all your points. I'm gonna go Rosa the other side, but uh, I hear you. I think it's gonna come down to the takedown with Carol Rosa. I don't care about the knockdown in the last fight. Lena Landsberg's big for the division. She's got some good power, good striking, and uh, yeah, whatever. It's a knockdown. She popped right back up and then went right back to work. So I think Carol Rosa can win this, just like you said, on the volume with the work rate. Keep going. Uh, it's the takedown I'm worried about. And her fight before that versus. Uh, uh, McMahon, Sarah McMahon. Oh my God, her takedown defense is non-existent, and her get-up game is non-existent. Like it's it, it's it's not there for. Her. I understand the wrestling from Sarah McMahon, world class. So giving up the takedown, psh, no problem there, girl. No problem. It was the get-up. She had no ability to get back up to her feet. And then in the third round, when Sarah McMahon pulled a classic Sarah McMahon stunt, I have no cardio. Please come finish me now. She still wasn't able to do it. She still wasn't able to capitalize. So what I'm worried about here is that Dumont's not a big wrestling threat at all. She doesn't really actively pursue the takedowns all that much. But you saw in the Danielle Wolf fire last time out, why would I want to just stand with the boxer the entire time? So she gets those two easy money takedowns. She also scored takedowns in a few other key fights. You know, she took down Aspen Ladd, which is, you know, Aspen Ladd's career is just tail spinning. Goddamn Jim West, man. Thanks a lot, pal. Regardless. Solid takedown in that fight. Her fight with Felicia Spencer. Felicia Spencer, you know, high-level BJJ black belt. You know, another takedown in that spot as well. If she goes out there and takes down Carol Rosa, I think the round's hers instantly. Even if Rosa is doing this great work standing, if Dumont just dumps her to the ground and can rack up three, four minutes of top control, it's going to be Dumont's, right? But uh, yeah, she doesn't wrestle enough 
for my liking. So give me the plus money on Dumont. I would do what you did. I would take it. Currently, right now, we're looking at a minus 120 Dumont and a plus 100 on Rosa. There still is no dog money here. There's no real good lean. There's no Pat Mayo theory in play. There really isn't. So it's just who's your heart and who's your gut tell you is going to win. And I think Rosa's got the volume. She didn't really show that her last time out against Landsberg. Same reason. Why do I want to just stand with Landsberg when I know the path to victory is get the takedown? So she got three takedowns. She won the fight that way. But in a pure stand-up battle, she does got excellent volume. She's capable of throwing up over 100 significant strikes. I should say landing over 100 significant strikes over 15 minutes. And so I'm hoping that it's enough here. I'm hoping she just works Dumont over. Because one thing that she does have on top of the uh, the volume advantage over Dumont is the speed advantage. She's not as big as Big Norm. No doubt about that. This girl should be going down a weight class. And Norm could be going up a weight class for sure. The power is going to go towards Dumont. The wrestling is going to go towards Dumont. The ground game is going to go towards Dumont. But that speed and that volume, those are in Rosa's territories. So she can use that to her benefit, and hopefully Dumont just fights a bad game plan. That's what I got to hope on. But I will take Carol Rosa. We got Junior Taffa taking on Mohamed Uzman. Uh, Taffa, minus 120 favorite. Uzman can be had for plus 100. People are saying it's good Taffa versus bad Uzman. What are your thoughts on this matchup there, Code? Yeah, I'm actually going to agree 100%. So when you look at Junior Taffa versus Justin Taffa, Junior was always a credible kickboxer of the family, right? Like he's fought for glory. He's fought at a very high level. He's had a lot of success. He's trained with some of the best guys on the planet a few times over, and he's a legitimate threat. He, I would say he's definitely the good Taffa. In terms of the Usmans, there's no debate. <laughs> there's, there's really there's really no debate. Kamaru is world class. He's good. Muhammad's not good, man. Now, I understand he just won the Ultimate Fighter, and I understand that he just you know, got a bonus out of a KO to the night bonus. He knocks out Pauga. That's all well and good. But like, he's not. It's not who he is. He's very immobile. He, uh, I think he wrestled like state, like high school level. He has wrestling similar to Kamaru. Kamaru decided to pursue it. And Usman and uh, sorry, Muhammad decided to play football, I believe. So he they went in different routes. But when they fight now, Kamaru still has that wrestling. Muhammad, the wrestling is not there, or at least he's not willing to use it for fear of gassing out. They call him the motor. I don't see him having his deep cardio. He's unwilling to use the wrestling that he may or may not have. He relies on just like one hitter, quitter, singular strikes, and it'll work here and there. It worked against Zach Pauga, a natural two hundred five pounder, who had won the first round and then ran head first into that shot. Yeah, it works there, but against a world-class kickboxer, you got to mix in the wrestling, and he just never has. He's shown pretty much zero ability to switch gears, which is crazy because of how good his brother is at blending in both styles, right? Muhammad just isn't quite there. Is it possible that he'll get comfortable? Maybe. He's 34 years old, though, so hard to say, right? Is more training going to help? Most definitely. But can he overcome certain some, some of his uh, shortcomings? Yeah, I don't know. You watch back on the Ultimate Fighter, both of his wins, uh, Michelle Sipe and then the Eduardo Perez fight, they both razor close, man. Like, he could have lost both of those fights and nobody would have complained. Didn't look great on the show. The Pelga fight, he was losing until he knocked him out. And before any of that, he fought for PFL against Brandon Sales. This Brandon Sales guy is 40 years old, okay? He's from Fort Benning, Georgia. He shows up as a massive plus 315 underdog, and the 40-year-old guy proceeds to absolutely whip his ass top to bottom, man. He kicked his ass in the first round. He outstruck him. He tired him out. He took him down. He choked him out. It was 
like a home run performance. Mohamed Usman is just not good. So I understand he just won the Ultimate Fighter and he just won his UFC debut. He's got a famous brother. Like, I, I get it, but that doesn't change anything. As I use my logic to easily take Junior Tafa to get the win here, and I don't mind the price tag, we've got two shitty heavyweights, Paul. And what usually ha- happens during those floppy mid-level heavyweight performances is like anything could happen. He could fall on top of him. He could all of a sudden use his wrestling. Henry Hooft and company should be like, we actually know who this guy is, so don't stand him. Take him down. Maybe that's the plan. I would hope that somebody tells him. I just think that even if his game plan was to go out and exclusively wrestle, I don't believe he's going to do it. So I got to go to Junior Tafa. The, the the worry here, and I've just expressed it multiple times over, is that Jiren Tov is a world-class kickboxer, but his MMA career, his 4-0, is all happened in nine months. Mm-hmm. Like, how good could his wrestling or his grappling possibly be? Whereas the other guy, not good, Usman's not good, at least he knows how to do it, right? Does he do it in his fights? No. Can he do it? Maybe. But that maybe is, you know, maybe he could do it. And if he does do it, he's got a path. He's got a path of victory. This is not a this is not a bet the bank on it. But uh yeah, they're gonna stand up and bang, which I think is the most likely outcome. I think Junior Toffa just clips him, puts him away. I mean Mo Usman would be very, very foolish to not come in here and like shoot for a takedown immediately immediately. Cause we don't really know what Junior Taffa can do in the grappling department. I'm sure he's working on it at the gym with his brother and and all the other people that are at the gym. Um, I'm sure they're they're working on it, but it's like in fight, in situation, is he ready for it? Because Mo Usman is a big body. It's like if that big body gets on top, it could be super dangerous. But I'm with you. It's just like if, I mean, if he doesn't take it down, and we're talking low level heavyweights, so game plan sometimes <laughs> just goes right out the window. Um, if it if it's just a stand up affair, I'm I'm gonna be siding with Junior Tafa with you. We got Francis Marshall taking on William Gomez. Minus 205 Marshall, plus 175 for Gomez, the Jaguar. Who you got here? I think there should be some decent value on, on Francis Marshall. I think he has the skills, has the potential to easily win this fight. Kid's 23 years old, very young, getting better. Head coach is Kurt Pellegrino, Batman. Uh, OG UFC fans will remember him from like, you know, the mid 2000s. Uh, BJJ Black Belt was a New Jersey boy. But having him as a mentor is going to be huge because he. He made a lot of mistakes, and he was a world-class fighter, man. Like, he almost got to title shot, uh, like, territory a few times, but made a lot of mistakes. Being Having that guy guide you, I think this Francis Marshall kid's going to be okay. They got a blossoming gym, solid training partners. He can grapple. He can wrestle. But it seems like he likes to stand right in front of you and deliver some heavy shots. Uh, most of his wins inside the distance. Got a nasty rear naked choke. As you can imagine, Kurt Pellegrino was his head coach. The kid knows how to grapple a little bit. On the contender series against Connor Matthews, first time he had gone to decision, or sorry, second time in his career he'd gone to decision. But yeah, solid pace. I think he looks pretty good all over. He's still young. He's still getting better. But I think that if you can't avoid him and you're going to have to stand in exchange with him at this stage and this level, he's going to do just fine for himself. And so his fight with Marcelo Rojo does exactly that. Rojo is a banger. Most guys, if anything, just don't stand right in front of him. Marshall didn't give a shit, man. He backed him up the whole time. He brought the fight to him and eventually puts him away in the second round. It was a pretty clean victory. Here's the worry here with William Gomez is that William Gomez is more of a fleet-footed fighter, right? He likes to stay on his back foot and move laterally. So I got one guy in Marshall that's going to come forward and want to engage in the center. 
I got another guy in Gomez that might play that outside perimeter game and just stick him with the jab and move, stick him with the jab and move, hit him with the leg kick and move. That That's possible too. And if you do that effectively for 15 minutes, good work, man. And Marshall's 23 and he doesn't cut angles. He doesn't got good footwork yet. So that style of just picking, choosing from the outside and just picking away, trust me, it, it, it's effective and it could work. But I don't think that Gomez is going to be able to do it for a hard 15 either. In his debut against Aaron's, uh, Yarno Aaron's, he, he was hardly moving at all. Like he was more content to just stand flat footed and shell up, allow Aaron's to get a couple shots off and then get the takedown. And that'll work against Yarno Aaron's. He's a striker from the Netherlands with, you know, very, he could throw up a triangle or something off his back, but he doesn't got a ground game. Let's be real, especially not at this level. Not that this level is even a thing anymore, but it should be. They're not grappling at that level. So Gomez was able to largely just bait him in, let him throw some strikes, take him down, and win the fight like that. I don't think that's on the table of Francis Marshall's. Takedown defense is much better. His grappling is much better. He's going to make you work. He's not just going to sit there and accept it. And in terms of just touching him and then trying to get out of dodge, we're in the apex. It's a small cage. There's only going to be so much of that that you can do. Francis eventually puts hands on him. He eventually wins those more meaningful exchanges and then it gets the win. But the worries here are 23, young, not great footwork, you know, and uh, he's there for a humble experience. Someone's eventually going to teach him a few lessons in there. Just don't think that Gomez is the guy. Gomez seems like he's got the athleticism and the speed as advantages. I just don't think he's going to put them to a proper use. So I, I got to go with Francis Marshall. I, I don't hate the line either. Like, I think he wins this fight. Could I get burned on a spot like that early? Yeah, I can see it happening. It's MMA. I get it. But um, I, I think he gets the win. And I think he's got a you know a bright future going forward as well. Yeah, there wasn't much, very much volume coming from William Gomez in that fight against, Yard, uh, against uh, what's his face? Uh, Jarno Aarons. Jarno Aarons in his first fight. And he, and he basically leaned on his wrestling throughout most of mm. it. I kind of thought he was like a stand-up uh, specialist in that spot. I think that wrestling advantage is gone in this matchup. Um, Francis Marshall, I think he's young, developing, not so keen on lane minus 205. He's got a lot of work to do to continue to prove to us that he belongs at this level, but this should be a pretty manageable victory for Marshall, so I'm with you on that one. People's main event. Would Would you also... So agree though worst nickname on the entire card who francis marshall what's his nickname you're gonna have to take a wild guess at that one i finally actually have a computer that works again in front of me i've been updating the oh. entire time that's why i've been a little bit oh. short short worded um, no no all good i'm i'm long worded i think people know that <laughs> yeah yeah i think people know that at this point um well, you're putting me on the spot. At least I have a computer to work off of now, finally. All, all good. Uh, he's uh, he's Francis. And Elliot Marshall used to fight in the UFC back in the day for your for your mid-2000 OG fans. And he was Elliot the Fire Marshal, which I thought was awful. Francis also Fire Marshal. So, uh, oh, that's not the worst nickname. That's not no, the worst nickname. On this card, oh, for sure. For sure. On this man. card. That's the low-hanging fruit, man. It's the low-hanging fruit. Your last yeah, name is Marshall. Then you just old. have to be fine. You know, remember Kevin Burns? He's got an accidental eye poke win over Anthony Johnson. He was uh, he was Kevin Fireburns. <laughs> that one was worse than Fire Marshall. Fire Burns. Brogan Walker is the bear? That's not a great nickname. Yeah, but what if she's Mama Bear? 
She's in big trouble against uh, the young cub. <laughs> yeah, the young I'll, tell you, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah, I'm not going to be going through everybody's nicknames right here. Let's move on. To- but we, okay, well, we can go from worst nickname to best nickname in this next one. Zombie girl, Priscilla Cachoeira. She's a dog, Cody, against Kareen Silva. Minus, two, or minus 200, plus 170. Is there a world where Karen Kareem? I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know how Kareem. she pronounces Killer it. Killer Kareem. Is there a world where she takes her down, finds a submission? Of course. Yeah, that's what she did in her last fight out there. But you know me. I haven't laid it yet. Been waiting for these markets, watching all of the haters pile up on my girl, Zombie Girl. And it's just like, you know, you know, when it comes to Saturday night, I'm going to have some money on zombie girl because this girl goes out there. She will gu- she will gouge your eyes out if you're trying to submit her, which she did against uh, against Jillian Robertson. This girl fights for your money every single time she goes out there. It's criminally underrated every single time she goes out there. I mean, what has Kareem Silva really showed to us? To lead us believe that she's like 66% in this spot. Like her path is let's get this fight to the ground. Because if she wants to stand at range, we can go to war. Like we're, we're called zombie girl for a reason. She will throw them hands. She doesn't get finished. She's got insane durability. There's only one path to beat her. Maybe Corinne Silva has, has that path in her arsenal. But I just keep doing it. I do it every single time this girl goes out there. They always price her plus 170, plus 200. It's just like, all right, I'll put my money on the girl who is at, like, you can tell she's a hard worker. She's not the most talented. Her takedown defense is very, very, uh, very, very, very exploitable, frankly. But the girl is as hard of a worker as you'll ever find in the UFC. And she throws them hands. Like, what? It was Lipsky. Lipsky last time out. And Lipsky looked... It's funny how Lipsky, after losing mm. to Zombie Girl, how good she mm. looked the next time out there. I think Cachoeira is just criminally underrated every single time that she enters, enters the octagon. And a plus 170, I mean, you'll be getting my money. Whatever book is out there that, has, that I have access to that has the best price later in the week. Because like, people hate people hate Cachoeira. Everyone always fades her. They add them to their parlays, yada, yada, yada. And then I, on Friday, maybe Saturday morning, I scoop up the other side. And over time, it's worked out. Like, she, I mean, what? Her second fight in the UFC, she's taking on uh, Valentina Shevchenko, like, the historically the best fighter in this division. Like, horrible, horrible. It's actually her first first fight. Sorry, her first fight in the UFC. (laughs) She goes out there, and they they literally throw her to the wolves. And then everyone after that is just like, this girl sucks, blah, 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 blah. Just like, she doesn't actually suck. She's She's got heart. She's got power. And sometimes that that's all you really need to get a to get a W in the women's flyweight division. So, yeah, cab leader of the free world. Let's go. Yeah, well, listen, it's not as if she beats any world class fighters, but what she's excellent at doing is beating people that geez, turns out they weren't that good. So could anybody say with any degree of certainty that Shayna Dobson's any good? No, and Cab's gonna beat her. Gina Mazzani, no good, beats her. Ji Yun Kim, man, that Ji Yun Kim fight could have actually gone against her. But uh, she comes forward the whole time. She splits her face open the last like 10 seconds with a set of elbows. 
that's what won it in her favor. So e- even her loss to Jillian Robertson, she's sticking her thumb in the girl's eye, trying to trying to eye gouge her, trying to get the eye right out of the socket, just to save some poor soul's bed out there. This girl is willing to go out on her shield for your money. How could you not jump against her? Or how would you could not get behind her? But she needs to take on somebody that potentially suspect. Killer Kareen, I think this girl is very good. Here's the thing, though. I couldn't tell you with a degree of certainty that she isn't potentially suspect because everything's quick wins. The win over Pollyanna uh, Batello last time out, first round finish. Um, Jan on the contender series, second round submission. Sydney Roca, first round finish. Simona Silva, first round finish. Giovanna Edwards, first round finish. Vittoria Ferreira, first round finish. Last time she's been past over one and a half. The last time she's been over one and a half rounds, she lost. She lost a decision to Dion Barbos. So there's at least a possibility that her cardio is not all that good and she needs to get the first round finish. And with Priscilla Cachuera, we know her win conditions. It's like survive the first round and then start to really get going after that. So this one has all the makings. And when you look at this card, there's three other women's MMA fights, right? We talked about, you know, applying the Pat Mayo's theory to the one, but geez, just neither of us could really, at the end of the day, I think, pull the trigger and, and go with uh, Brogan Walker. So I decided to not use Pat Mayo's theory. The other women's MMA fight, it's an even money fight, so the theory can actually be applied. So this is the last one. It's going to happen, man. The plus money girl's going to hit. Pat's not going to be denied on this show. Everybody knows that. And because I'm not taking Brogan Walker... I will take Priscilla Cachoeira. Last thing I will leave with you, live betting spot for sure. But just think about the card two weeks ago, 87, right? Sam Hughes versus Jacqueline Amarin. Amarin's much better grappler, slick submissions, probably going to be Sam Hughes. The first round, she's all over her, man. On her back, looking for the rear naked choke. Some people online are talking about it as potentially a 10-8 round, which she failed to get that rear naked choke in the first round. The rest of her game fell apart. Because as it turns out, She's a first-round finisher. As it got to second and the third, then even plus money, Sam Hughes was able to go out there and get the job done. Fights later down on the card. You got Paulo Rosas Jr., okay? That first round, he dominates. He dominated the first round, okay? He gets the back. He's looking for the rear naked choke. Some people online are even talking about maybe this is a 10-8 round. But when he failed to get the choke in the first round, Christian Rodriguez works his way back in the second and third and puts the beating on him. So that... That's, that's exactly what we are hoping happens in this spot. And Kareem Silva probably does take her down and try to choke her in the first round. If she does not get it, get that live money on Priscilla Cachoeira and hopefully uh, catch a beating comes to play. Or Cab just goes out there and just throws them hands and, and finishes her in the first round. Like, like against She's done girl, that a few times too. Against your girl Landsberg, or against your girl uh, Lipsky last time out there. No. Even in the Shayna Dobson fight, right? It wasn't like a 25-second KO. So she's – how many how many I mean, girls can you say have less than a – two less than a minute knockout or a minute five against Lipsky, I suppose. Lips- Shayna Dobson, 40 seconds. Like, that doesn't happen very often, man. She's even got other – this is her regional show career, but 49-second KO against this girl that was 4-1. and one. Well, That girl was 0-5. She only lasted a minute nine, but, you know, for good reason, I suppose. You know, like she got power for the division. She's aggressive. She can fight for 15 full minutes. She can land over 100 significant strikes. She throws dirty stuff like elbows and eye gouges in. Okay, let's hope for what well, we wish it into the universe. Now let's just hope it cashes through. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Lipsky is just like, what? What are you doing? What are you doing? You want to go toe to toe? 
just like slobber knocker, shot for shot with Zombie Girl. Bad decision. I mean, Corinne Silva will not come in here and try to do that. Because if she does, I know who's getting their arm raised at the end. Corinne Silva can win this fight, but she's going to have to, yeah, slow the pace down. Get this fight to the ground as soon as possible. Not that she can't win at range, but it's like you can't just go in there and try to slug it out with Zombie Girl. Like, Zombie Girl will survive and she'll finish it. Like, she's pretty much unfinishable unless you submit her. Um, crazy chin. Love, love, love Priscilla Cachoeira. Biggest, one of the bigger fans, I would say. And uh, it's, a, it's a crazy path to the, the, to the fandom over the years. But, like, everyone else kind of thinks that she's horrible. And, like, she has problems in her game. But it's like, I think she's criminally underrated every single time she gets in there. And finally, we got uh, Bakara Denis taking on uh, Brady Heiston. I'm Batgarel Denis. I mean, anytime I hear what's uh, John Annick say, it's like, I think it's Bakari Dana, I think is actually how he says it. But like, what, what do you, how are you supposed to pronounce that? I'm sure every single podcast out there talking about the exact same picks as us. This week is messing up that pronunciation all day long. We got minus 135, Dana, plus 115 for high stand. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, I got to go with uh, Bakary, I think, to get the job done. He just seems like he's got a little more in his toolbox. Um, takedown defense, not bad. Uh, not great, certainly. His UFC debut, he got taken down uh, at will against Orichi uh, Lang. But outside of that, I mean, pretty solid. In his last time out, he took on a decent wrestler in Mr. Perfect Kyoho Kang. Stuffed with two takedown attempts in that spike. And then has really had one of those high pace type of battles. He's got a good chin on him. He's got some decent firepower. He's a guy that won three fights in the UFC in a row, all by first round knockout. Knocked out Guido Canetti, Kevin Natividad, and Brandon Davis. He's definitely got power, but if he doesn't land that big power, he's also got volume, right? The Kang fight, he lands over 100 significant strikes. He's able to carry it through. His cardio is not bad. He's serviceable. 33, I don't expect any major improvements out of him. But again, someone that had left China to go to Jackson Wink back in the day. Guys don't usually do that. The Chinese fighters that stayed in China weren't able to develop certain parts of their game until later on. A performance institute opens up. Coaches are going over. Money's, money's flooding in. Uh, for Bakari, he is left. I think he's actually Mongolian. I called him China. I apologize. Mm -hmm. But all the same, he leaves Southeast Asia and he's able to come over over and get some good rounds in at Jackson Wink. And I think you see he's got more of an American style than your typical Asian fire to him. Good volume, heavy-handed, decent takedown defense, you know, solid enough in points. Again, serviceable, going to be one of your curtain jerker type fighters, but capable of going out there and kind of giving everybody a fight. Brady Highstand, meanwhile, I actually had high expectations for this kid. He's super young, and you'd expect that he's going to continuously getting a lot better. I mean, even now, he's still only 23 years old. You look at his regional show career, he... He took a lot of good fights. He fought Chan and Elijah in Canada. This kid's like 20 at the time. Leaves his confines of his own, you know, his home. Leaves the States as an undefeated 20-year-old kid to fly to Alberta and fight the local guy in his own backyard, the full-grown man. Like, bad idea. But it shows what kind of heart the kid's got. He's got a wrestling base. He's very scrappy. He's very tenacious. He goes on the Ultimate Fighter, and I thought he looked very good on the Ultimate Fighter. It was the finale against Ricky Tercios, whereas you saw... Oh, he's very one-dimensional with the wrestling. Like, he needs to hit those takedowns. Even when he does hit the takedowns, there's not exactly a whole lot of volume coming out of him. Ricky Tercios had a big striking advantage. Ricky Tercios had a cardio advantage. And uh, even though it was a split decision, like, they got it right. Ricky Tercios won that fight. 
So he takes a little bit of time off. He comes back against Fernie Garcia. He didn't gas against Fernie Garcia, but like nothing happened, man. He just he got easy takedowns when he wanted them. He landed, I think, 20, 20 maybe like 24 significant strikes. I'll bring 19. up the exact number. 19. He actually got outstruck 21 to 19 mm-hmm. by Fernie Garcia. But because he had the three takedowns, he's lying on Tom. That's fine. Here's another problem against Bat Gree. You're not going to be able to just rely on those takedowns anymore, man. He's going to make you work for them. He's way physically stronger than Fernie Garcia. And so if you don't get them, he's going to box you up standing. If you do get them, what are you going to do with them, right? Are you going to hold them down for 15 full minutes? Are you going to just blanket them? Do you have a refined submission game or ground and pound you've been working on? Is he not going to be able to just explode back up to his feet and box you up again and win back the round? All question marks. And so because he's so young, if he came out here and looked like a million bucks, it wouldn't shock me. Guys are going to make rapid improvements at this age. They're going to get more comfortable. No doubt he's getting more comfortable. He's getting more experienced. He's improving and he's getting better at a rapid rate. And he's 10 years younger than Bat Gurry. And that's going to make a difference. The old man's strength, the veteran, the experience, the striking, the strength. I, I, I think Bat Gurry wins this fight. So whatever. Low-level MMA fight, you know, expect the unexpected. I, I get it. But minus 135, I, I got to go with Bat Gurry. I'm totally with you, bro. I think it's a, uh, I mean, small cage. You can make the argument on one side that, uh, and actually the market as as I look at the odds currently, seeing minus 155s, like the market agrees with you right now. It's moving in that direction. Bakary Dana um, is a problem. Like I was on Breedy High Stand in both of those fights. Um, and I thought he was a big dog against Tercios. I thought that was a little bit off. He's a sizable favorite against Fernie Garcia. And I was very nervous in that fight. And I said, if you're not able to you know, get takedowns at will. I haven't seen very much from your stand-up game to lead me to believe that, like, as you move up the ladder here, that you're going to be able to compete. Now he's taking on a power puncher with good mobility, very, very good strength. It's a very, very tough matchup, I think, for him. So, Bakary Dina is the pick for me as well. I'm going to be adding some money on Bakary Dina. I've got, um, I've got, what's her face? Big Norm. At plus one twenty five, but yeah, as it gets close, like as it's a pick 'em right now, a lot of my edge I think is gone on that one. Not going to be surprised if that fight goes either way. Oh, and on Bellator, I did scoop. I scooped some plus two fifty on Arlene Blanco against uh, McCann. I think it's still what? What's the price on that? Still kind of crazy. It's like you have to remember that, like, um, you know, Blanco recently went the full full five rounds against Cyborg. And Sarah McMahon, while she should have a massive wrestling advantage, don't get me wrong on that on that front. Um, she used to fight at 125 at one point. Like she's going up to 145 for this fight. It's going to be really hard to just push around a much much bigger woman for three rounds and control her. It's like at range, I feel like Blanco should win very very comfortably. I'm just kind of looking up to see what those odds are currently um yeah plus 169 plus 160 like i still think blanco's the side there to be perfectly honest like you've a lot of these ufc fighters leave the ufc go to pfl go to bellator Mm -hmm. and what ends up happening cody they they catch those l's um i wouldn't be surprised it's like burgos 
last week. It's just like there's a lot of the old thing. And, and like, you know, when you get to the top three of each division, it's probably still true that the best fighters fight in the UFC. But it's like you get outside of that top five, you get into the top 10, top 15 range. It's like there's people in Bellator, there's people in 1FC, there's people in the PFL that would eat your lunch if you went over to those promotions. So it's not like it dude, used to be. Further your point as well. I remember everyone's like, oh, dude, Burgos is a lot better than Obey Mercier, isn't he? And it's like, well, how do you figure? Burgos is a 45. He fights in the UFC at 145. Obey Mercier is a 55er. He fought guys like Arvin Saruki when he was in the UFC at 155. So Burgos just narrowly edged out Charles Jordan at 145. Okay. Obey Mercier would absolutely kill Charles Jordan. No questions asked. 30 27 or a finish. Easy money. Burgos just fought tooth and nail this guy, but he's suddenly just going to beat the crap out of Obey Mercier. Because you're right. When you leave the UFC, the expectation is you're, you know, classier than these guys that already got caught and you know he never got caught he left it because his contract was expired and dana white's publicly like oh man we screwed up we should have signed the guy and he's blowing up his phone and they're offering him this huge money so now the perception is like he should win he should win it's like he's moving up a weight class taking on a guy that's better than him and better than the guys that he's been fighting and struggling against recently so your point here is the same thing like sarah mcmahon is not only broken goods in the ufc coming over here expected to do some great stuff she's moving up a weight class and that is where the inadvertent risk comes into right you're just expecting her to go oh blanco's a boxer from australia she's got to get taken down and she might but how many times have you seen sarah mcmahon win the first two rounds and then get tko'd late mm-hmm. or win the first round and get tko'd in the second or her face got paralyzed that one fight or she she taps at like the first sign of danger like you, don't you can do way shocked. worse for that kind of plus money, man. So I think you're on to something, but I'll hit you with the PRP this week. Let's do it. Uh, we're going with dogs in the first two. We're going to go with Sergey Pavlovich, underdog, Bruno Silva. Like that one a lot less, but I am going to take him, underdog. We're going to go with Bobby Green. We're going to go with uh, Yasmin Lacindo. We're going to go with Matthew Semmelsberger, even money pick. Rick Glenn, Montel Jackson, Carol Rosa, even money pick. Uh, Junior Toffa, pretty much an even money pick. Francis Marshall, uh, Priscilla Cachoeira, dog number four, and Dana Bakery. So, yeah, I, I think this card's got some good spots here and there. Like, do you have to parlay every time? No, no, but I think the parlay has got a shot this week. At least I'm optimistic. But even just like piece by piece, the values aren't crazy out of line. There's some decent props, there's some de- decent over unders, and uh, hopefully, overall, just a decent weekend for the betting purposes. You've also got a PFL, you've got is there a PFL? Sorry. Uh, you definitely got the Bellator card. Well, what else is there? Yeah, there's an LFA and a CFFC. Nobody really wants to bet on that unless there's nothing else on. Of course, we'll bet on it. Yeah, there's nothing else on. Like nothing else, like not even on your Saturday. All the same, enjoy your weekend. And uh, yeah, go. yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm hoping this is the one that uh, comes through for us. We'll, we'll play it good this week, hopefully. Let's make some money, buddy. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Zafik, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.